0: 13 through 15, the Apostle Paul writes the following, he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time in Galatians. In this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Lord, helping us to understand what it means to be free in Christ Jesus. Lord, I ask that today, Lord, these three verses would be used by you to help us grow in understanding what this freedom is and what it's not. Lord, how we can live in the good of this freedom and not abuse it, but enjoy it and honor you with it and grow in our faith as well. And so, Lord, help us. Help us by giving us these ears to hear and hearts to understand this morning in Jesus name we pray amen amen so so what does it mean to be free in Christ we've been we've been talking about being free in Christ now for the last 5 chapters of this letter i know we've taken a little bit of a break the last month or so doing some different things but but we've been in this letter where paul has been trying to Uh, help the Galatians, and God has been trying to help us understand what it means to be free in Christ Jesus. So does this freedom give us the permission to do whatever it is we want to do whenever it is we want to do it? Does this freedom that we have in Christ release us from Having to do or not do certain things that God has called us to do in Scripture. Some people would think so. My question is, what what do you think? When you think about being free in Christ, what does that mean to you? And how do you live out your life enjoying this freedom that you have in Christ? Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians because they were giving up their freedom that they had in Christ by turning away from trusting in Him alone for their salvation and giving themselves to a self-righteous and legalistic way of living by attempting to earn their salvation or earn their forgiveness and acceptance by God. They were adding to what Jesus had done for them by trusting in him and seeking to obey the law, and specifically in this case, through circumcision as well. And so what we've been seeing is that their hope was not in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, but their hope shifted away from Christ to Christ plus their own abilities to do certain things that they thought would make them acceptable to God. At the beginning of chapter 5, Paul wrote the following. He said, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And so you see, in this same chapter, verses before, we are called by God to stand firm in this freedom that we have in Christ alone. And what this means is that we're called. To stand firm in Christ. We're called to put all of our hope and all of our trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. For our standing before the Lord. It means that we must not ever trust in our own abilities to save ourselves or anyone else. Salvation is not earned. It is a gift from God that he gives to people by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. It's a call from God to be free from the law's demands and its punishment. It's a call from God to be free from the power of sin and its devastating effects upon our lives. It's a call from God to enjoy his grace, his mercy his peace, and his love. It's also a call from God to live the life that God has created us and has empowered us to live for him, his glory, and our good. So Christian freedom is something that we are all to enjoy, and it's something that we must not ever abuse. And that's Paul's concern at this point. And so he's been calling them to stand firm in this freedom, enjoy this freedom, and now he makes this little shift where where he sort of says to them, and don't abuse it. And don't abuse it. Stand firm in this freedom, but don't abuse this freedom. We need to understand what this freedom is and what this freedom isn't. And so what we're going to learn this morning is this. Since we've been called to freedom in Christ, we must live in the good of this freedom. So since we've been called to freedom in Christ, we must live in the good of this freedom. Now, to help us understand what it means to live in the good of this freedom, we're going to see four points from these three verses that help us understand what freedom isn't and then what freedom is. So in our first point, we learn that Christian freedom is not freedom to indulge the flesh, but to control the flesh. So Christian freedom is not a freedom where where we can just indulge the flesh. It's actually a call to, to put the flesh to death. He writes this in verse 13. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. There's just something good it feels like, doesn't it? When you hear that, you're, you're, you've been called to freedom. We we love freedom. At least I like it. I, I like the way this, this feels when he says, that I like the idea of being free. And I like the reality of being free. And then he says, okay, so you've been called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So the flesh here is, is our fallen human nature. Paul's not talking about the skin and bones that cover our bodies. He's talking about our sinful natures that we've inherited from Adam. These sinful natures, they exist in all of us and prior to being saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, we were controlled by them. We were enslaved to it. But Jesus freed us from its power. The problem is that though we've been freed from the power of sin, its presence in our lives still remains. And it's going to remain in our lives until either we die or Christ returns and he brings us home to heaven to be with him forever. And so the presence of sin in a believer's life, it's just gonna be there. The power of it's been broken by Christ, but its presence is there. And its presence looks to Uh, influence us in many ways. It looks to draw us away from what God has called us to do. And so we read in Romans chapter 13, Paul, Paul talks about the flesh, 13 verse 14. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so he's instructing the Romans here and God's instructing us about the flesh. It's present... You need to know it's there. And so what he tells the Romans to do is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not make any provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so we know what we're supposed to put on. But the thing we learn in Romans here is that you've got to understand the flesh has desires. It just has these desires. And these desires aren't good ones. They are typically ones that are selfish and proud. They come in the form of sinful temptations that, if given into, lead to sin, and if made room to remain, begin to control us and bring about all sorts of destruction personally and relationally. This is why Paul writes in our text, reminding us. That we've been called to freedom in Christ and we're not to use this freedom we have to give opportunity for the flesh or to indulge the flesh. We're called to put it to death. John Stott writes in his commentary about this Christian freedom. He said, Christian freedom, I just find this first sentence to be really helpful. Christian freedom is freedom from sin. Not freedom to sin. Let me say it again. Christian freedom is from sin, not freedom to sin. So Christ frees us from the power of sin so that we actually might live for him and for his glory. And he goes on to say, it is an unrestricted liberty of approach to God as his children, not an unrestricted liberty to wallow in our own selfishness. I feel like that's pretty clear, right? When we're thinking about the flesh and this freedom that we have in Christ, we are free from the power of sin. We're not free to sin. Christ has died for all of our sin. Therefore, sin does not define us anymore. Christ defines us and his blood on the cross covering all of our sins. It frees us to approach God and it makes us acceptable to God, but it doesn't free us to go on sinning. It just doesn't work that way. It has a different effect, and we'll jump into it later. Being free in Christ is having liberty from the power of sin and, I would say, the ability to put the remaining sin in our lives to death each and every day by the grace of God. By the grace of God. This freedom that we have, it is not a license to sin. It's a call upon our lives, I would say, to work hard, by the grace of God, at resisting temptations to sin. It's a call upon our lives to confess our sins and to repent of our sins. This is is true freedom. When we really get to understand that Christ really died for sinners and He really died for all of our sins so that when we sin, we are free To bring those sins out into the light and not give opportunity to the flesh, but instead expose the darkness, knowing that these sins don't define us because Christ died for them and we're free from them to confess them and to turn away from them and to trust in Christ. And this is a daily thing. This isn't just a a one-time thing that we do at the beginning of our Christian life. What what Paul's getting at here is, is this is a daily thing for believers. Daily not giving opportunity for the flesh, but instead free to put the sin that remains in our lives to death. Church, let me remind you that you've been called to freedom in Christ. Stand firm in this freedom. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity to sin. I would say use this freedom as an opportunity to put the sin that remains in your life to death and to help one another as well. Use this freedom that you have in Christ to grow in holiness, to grow in Christ-likeness. This leads us to our second point where we learn that Christian freedom is not a freedom to exploit others but to serve others. Christian freedom is not a freedom to exploit others but to serve others. Verse 13 he sort of finishes it here. He says for you were called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. Just as Christian freedom doesn't give us the liberty to do whatever it is we want to do whenever it is we want to do it personally. It also doesn't give us the liberty to treat others the way we want to treat them whenever we want to treat them. In however way we want to treat them. It's a freedom to approach God without the fear of punishment. Not a freedom to exploit others for our own selfish gain. But remember... The flesh is self-serving. It's self-serving. All the flesh cares about is itself. Its primary interest is in self-pleasure. The flesh really isn't looking out for the good of others. It isn't seeking the best interest of those around you. It isn't looking to build others up. It's looking to take advantage of those around us for the good of self. That's how the flesh works. If you're you're thinking about flesh, think sin, think selfishness, think pride. And, And what the flesh wants is it just wants to serve self. And I love how in this context here, what we see is we don't give opportunity to the flesh. And we put the flesh to death. And what Paul does is he connects that to community. He connects it to community and the way in which we live our lives with those around us because we put the flesh to death by putting self to death and we look outward at those around us and we look to serve those who are around us as well. So I want to give you just a silly example and I warned my kids and my nephews that I was going to share this with you. I don't know that they believed me, but anyways, I'm sharing it because maybe you you can relate to this. And so when my kids were little and my nephews were little as well, and by that I mean like when they were younger, but this also might have happened yesterday. And I didn't plan this. This is not planned. It just sort of showed up yesterday. Anyways, so when they were younger, like there's a favorite seat in the car. You guys know what that is, right? It's the pass in front passenger seat. And so anytime as a family we would get in the car, and mom wasn't there. Like they just want that seat for some reason. And so what I noticed at times with them growing up is, is they, they just kind of had this good intuition, this sense of we're about to leave the house. And they'd look for ways, I'm not saying which ones, this could be my nephew or my kids, so I'm not going to incriminate any of them, but some of them would do this. They'd look for ways to sort of manipulate the situation where they would just be standing by the door waiting, you know, pulling on that thing, so they could be the first in as if that gave them the front seat. But in their minds, that's how they thought. And if that didn't work, there was this other, like, it's not even—it's a magic word, but for some reason they think it is. And they said this was what came up yesterday as we're getting ready to leave the house. Somebody screamed out, you guys know what it is? Yeah, shotgun. And it's just like a laugh, and I just think, like, who in the world thinks that actually works? Kids do. And I know it's a game, and it's fun, and you can play all that kind of stuff, but but I was on to it pretty quickly, and there's there's different rules I have in my car to kind of, like, get rid of that, and I just put the oldest always gets that front seat, and so, Jack, I'm so sorry. Jack, you get it once in a while. Jack's the youngest of the nephews and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, my point is, like... The reason we do this and they do that, nobody's looking out for the rest of anybody else. Nobody's thinking about anybody else's interest except their own in that moment. Nobody's looking to serve their older sibling or cousin who might be six foot three and doesn't want to sit in the back seat because he's all squished up there. But, but instead, if you yell shotgun, you get that. It's sort of what? It's self-serving. It's silly. It's silly, but can you imagine? Like I, I can't imagine this. Can you imagine? As kids, we're all going to jump in the car and we're going to all head out for dinner. And they just have a discussion. They gather on the front porch and they say, "Okay, do you want the front seat today?" No, you can have it. Okay. Are you sure you don't want the front seat? I know you're six foot three and you got these long legs. You'd probably be better in the front seat, so you can squish it back a little bit. Are you sure you don't want it? Can you imagine riding in the car like that if it happened like that? I I don't know if it's ever had something like that. It would just radically transform. Car rides to church sometimes. Going out to dinner or whatever it may be. I know it's a a silly illustration, but when we have a, a serving mindset, it changes everything, doesn't it? It changes our outlook on Everything. Think about how different your latest conflict with your spouse or with your friend would have gone if you were seeking to put to death your flesh and instead of fighting to get your own way, instead of only thinking about yourself and what you're not getting or what you want and somebody's standing in the way of giving you. Imagine if you just stopped for a moment and you considered the people around you. And you ask the question, what would serve this person? Imagine how that would maybe transform your conflict. See, the flesh wants to rise up, though. We give opportunity to the flesh when we give in to our selfish desires, and we begin to fight for what we want. And instead of serving those around us, we look to to do whatever we can to get from the people around us what we feel like we're not getting. It, it, you can feel it sometimes, can't you? You know what I'm talking about with the flesh? Here's this, a silly little illustration. Just the other day, I was mowing the lawn with my boys. It was hot. And I think we were on our second yard of the day, and I was weed trimming this yard. and I don't know if you... Like, mowing lawns in July and August is not fun. The grass just grows way too much, and you can't really get it in time to make it easy. And so if you get it a few days late, it just makes it harder. And so it's one of those days and I'm in my second yard and, and all I want to do is be done. We have a bunch more in front of us and up my wife pulls on the side of the road and she rolls down the window and she looks at me and she gives me this sign. And like in that moment, I could feel my flesh. And by me, I just feel a selfishness. Like I don't want to be bothered at this moment. I want to finish what I'm doing so I can finish the next thing and finish this so I can be done with this as soon as possible. And and in that moment, I could feel the, fle- you can feel it, that frustration and anger that boils up. And, and she could probably say this, but it begins to look like something. And at that point, it kind of just looked like this, this you're bothering me look on my face. And so what I've been trying to do in moments is like, is just breathe for a second, like I'm serious, Like, just like I can feel this rise up and it's only serving self. And so what I did is I turned my machine off and I went and talked to my wife and it wasn't anything big or anything like that, but, but it was an opportunity to not give an opportunity to the flesh and be selfish and arrogant and proud. The world doesn't revolve around me. And so we put the flesh to death by serving one another. We walk in Christian freedom by giving our lives away for the good of those Around us, And so Kent Hughes, in his commentary, he's got a list of six things, six common ways we give an opportunity to the flesh to gain influence in our lives and exploit others. I'm going to read them, and I'm not going to share a lot about them, but the reason I'm going to read these is because I want us to think about them. I want us to think about, do I give opportunity to, opportunity to my flesh in this way? Because freedom calls for us to put the flesh to death and not give it opportunity to grow, okay? And so he says, number one is this, we provide opportunity for the flesh when we coddle an unforgiving spirit or harbor a grudge toward another person. So we give opportunity to the flesh when we coddle an unforgiving spirit or harbor a grudge toward another person. It's self-serving, you're unwilling to forgive someone, therefore you harbor a grudge and you're not forgiving them because it might make you feel good. Forgetting all the good news that Christ died for all of your sins and has forgiven you of all of your sins and has released you from all of your debt. But instead, when we hold grudges and we are unforgiving, what we just did is we gave an opportunity to the flesh, serving no one but ourselves. Number two, he said, we provide opportunity for the flesh when we fail to overlook minor offenses. Proverbs 19, verse 11, he said, good, or the Lord says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Our flesh, our selfish, sinful natures, are easily offended. So one thing would be to ask is, am I a person who is easily offended? Am I giving opportunity to the flesh, or am I looking out for the best interest of those around me? Am I looking to serve those around me by not making a big deal about their weaknesses? Not being easily offended by their sin, but instead trying to help them, moving towards them. Not looking to fight, but instead looking to be reconciled. Number three, he said, we provide opportunity for the flesh when we allow ourselves to put a negative spin on the action of others. And so these next three that he talks about are all going to have this negative sort of talk. To it, and I'm going to sort of share a little bit about this, but he's, he's honing in on something, and I'll draw attention at the end of this. And so, again, three, we provide opportunity to flesh when we allow ourselves to put a negative spin on the actions of others. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, wrote the following, he said, love believes all things. You might say, the flesh doesn't. When we give opportunity to the flesh, what we do is we critically judge others instead of assuming the best and asking questions to understand why are they doing what they're doing, believing the best about them. Number four, we provide opportunity for the flesh when we indulge ourselves in speaking negatively about others. So Instead of just judging others negatively, he says, no, you also give opportunity to the flesh when you speak negatively about others. So James is really clear in his letter. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. There is no room, no room in the church for corrupting talk about one another. And I would say, there is no room in your family for corrupting talk about one another. When we give in to corrupting talk, what we've just done is we're giving opportunity to the flesh. We're not genuinely seeking to love one another or serve one another. We're looking to... Corrupt or tear down instead of build up those who are around us. And so in that way, we're not serving anyone but self. Corrupting talk is self-serving. It's destructive. It has destroyed many relationships, many families, and many churches. As it's eaten away at many people's reputations and abilities to lead in the roles that God has called them to lead in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said the following about taming the tongue. He said, where this discipline of the tongue is practiced. And he's talking about where this right discipline of taming the tongue is practiced. Individuals will make an amazing discovery. They will be able to stop constantly keeping an eye on others, judging them, condemning them, and putting them in their place, and thus doing violence to them. They can now allow other Christians to live freely, just as God has brought them face to face with each other. This is true. When when we, in a sense, stop negatively thinking about others, slandering others, gossiping others, critically judging others' actions. I like what he says. You're you're now free. You're free to think rightly about people. You're free to be grateful for the people who are around you. You're free to be grateful for your mom and dad. Free to be grateful for your teachers who lay their lives down. You're, You're free to see all that God is doing for the good through them. If we wanted to, we could sit around and pick each one of us apart. You know why? Here's a secret. We're not in heaven yet. This is not heaven. You're not perfect. Your mom and dad aren't perfect. Your teachers won't be perfect. Your community group leader won't be perfect. If you want to sit around and critique them and and slander them and gossip, you'll have the rest of your life, you'll have just mounds and mounds of just evidences of things you can pick apart. And that's all you'll begin to see once you start going down that path. And that's, that's why I think in God's wisdom, He says, let none of it come out of your mouth. Because there's this other secret. Romans eight twenty eight: God's at work in all things for the good of those that love Him. That means God's at work in your mom and dad. I mean, God's at work in your kids. God's at work in your school and your teachers and your boss. He's, there's actually good things present. But when we give in to corrupting talk, we feed the flesh. Number five, we provide opportunity for the, for the flesh when we engage in conversation with those who are negative or when we continue in conversation with the, when the conversation turns negative. We've, we've touched on that. I'm going to skip to six. We provide opportunity for the flesh when we fail to deal with our personal grievances swiftly and directly. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, encouraged them. He said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so what, what he's getting at here is is again, when we allow for conflict to go unreconciled for a very long time, we are feeding the flesh. We are creating more and more problems. And then he even draws attention to the fact, not only are we feeding the flesh, we're giving opportunity for the devil to come in, kill, steal, and destroy. See, love moves towards one another. I'm not saying this is easy. It's not easy. But love moves towards one another take some time this week, think about those. Where are you giving opportunity to the flesh? Because we've been given this freedom not to serve ourselves, but to serve one another. Our third point, we learn that Christian freedom is not freedom to ignore the law, but to fulfill the law. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. John Stott writes in his commentary, he says, he does not say if we love one another, we can safely break the law in the interests of love. But that if we love one another, we shall fulfill the law because the whole law is summed up in this one command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so again, he's just summarizing the Lord's law. And he's calling for us here saying, this, this is what it looks like. It looks like loving your neighbor as Yourself. It looks not like feeding your flesh, doing whatever it is you want to do, whenever it is you want to do, no matter who it hurts. It's having this mindset where, where you understand you don't live in this world by yourself. When God saves us through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, he joins us to a community of believers. And it's called the local church, and it's called other believers. And we don't live this out alone. I mean, just look around this room. There's more people in here than you. That might surprise some of you. Maybe not, but sometimes we think that way, don't we? We show up and we wake up and we do things and we just think, it's all about me today. I'm going to get what I want when I want it and I'm going to maybe hurt anybody who gets in the way. But What we learn here is, no, it's not. You're not free to do whatever it is you want to do. You're free to love your neighbor as yourself. You're free to lay your life down, not because it saves you, because that's That's what Christ has done for you. And he's freed you to now pick up your cross and to follow him. And what that looks like is it looks like you not thinking so highly of yourself. But thinking highly of those around you. So maybe it does look like having that conversation on the porch. Would you like to sit in the front seat today? Where would you like to go for lunch today? how would you like our relationship to look moving forward? We love our neighbor as ourself because we've been freed by Christ to do this. This leads us to our final point. Freedom in Christ is not freedom to fight with one another, but to live at peace with one another. I, I love, I love just how the connection is being made here that we have this freedom and this freedom isn't for our individual sort of personal enjoyment. It's just, it's so connected to community. We just catch a picture of just God's purpose and plan to create a people for his own possession, to enjoy him forever. A love for God will express itself not only in a devotion to God, but also in a genuine love for others. The call to freedom is a call to oneness in Christ with one another. Now, let me just say this, this is not easy. Hey, we all know this, everybody gets in conflicts, right? But, but we know we've been freed to, to pursue reconciliation in these conflicts, to live at peace with one another. Because we've been called to live in community with one another. And genuine love for one another does not look like us biting and devouring one another. Again, verse 15, he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out. There's a warning here. If you bite and devour one another, if you want to be a person who loves conflict, loves to find themselves in fights with other people because you love yourself more than you actually love your neighbor, here's the warning. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. That's just what happened. Anybody in here ever been in a conflict? Like one that just sort of like just gets going. Josiah, thank you. We'll pray for you afterwards. Anybody that would like to pray for Josiah, he'll be up front. I'll join you. I I get in some conflict, sometimes with you. Anyways, you know when they just kind of get going, and then all of a sudden there's this little phrase we use, sometimes there's words in the wind, you know what those are? That's when you say those really mean things that come from your heart, and you mean them at the moment, and man, like in a sane moment, I think they do this, like, Not everybody, this is probably not going to help 95% of you, but like what they'll do sometimes is they'll take NFL athletes and they'll have them read their mean tweets. Anybody ever seen that? It's hilarious. Like there are some mean people in this world that will just say very mean things about Tom Brady, if you can believe that, and Patrick Mahomes and whoever else, but just really mean things. Well, sometimes like when we get in conflicts, we can say mean things, right? We could shout some, some terrible things. And we call them words in the wind. Yes, I meant them in the moment. I don't really believe that to be true about you. But I was so angry in that moment. I wanted to hurt you. Therefore, I said these things. Because I hope you were hurt by them. Now I feel terrible that I actually said them. You guys understand those kind of fights? Okay, that's called biting and devouring. You're, just, you're like a shark, And your spouse or your friend or your kid, they're they're in the sea, and you're just just taking chunks out of them. Proverbs call that like a rash word. It's, It's like a sword thrust, just a dagger. That's what we call them too sometimes, like daggers, like just a pop. You just get them, and it's like, oh, that hurt. It's meant to hurt, but it's not good. Those are the things we repent of. We ask God grace to stay away from, but they just show up. And so if you're a fighter and you love to fight, you just go out looking for conflict. Some people, it just follows. And I I would ask you to consider that. Does conflict follow me? It just happens sometimes. Sometimes we, we can get into that place where we're a negative person and we like to draw upon negative things and we like to say things that provoke other people and we end up getting conflicts a lot. It just, it just happens. If conflict seems to follow you, you might want to take a look at this verse right here and heed its warning. If you bite and devour, you will be consumed. By this conflict the Lord Jesus has set us free to live at peace with one another living at peace with one another looks like we serve one another it looks like we lay down our lives for the good of those around us it looks like we consider the interest of others better than our own and we love our neighbor as ourselves. and when we bite and devour one another we seek to repent of that because we're free we're free. We're free to actually put the flesh to death. We're free to say, yes, I did that. I'm ashamed I did that. Please forgive me for doing that. And then on the other side, you are free to say, thank you. I, am, I forgive you in light of all that Christ has forgiven me of. I freely forgive you. And by the grace of God, may we grow in this. And you know what? That may happen. That may happen every month. It may get better because we're not in heaven yet. We're just not there. But by the grace of God, may we grow. May we grow. May we not be self-righteous, legalistic, arrogant people. By the grace of God, may we be humble men and women who are more aware of the grace of God at work in our lives and in the lives of others, that that we would actually live in the good of this freedom by not picking up our life, but instead picking up a cross, following Christ, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. What I want to do just in closing, ask us to do in closing, is just to pray for this. Okay? So we're going to break up into, you can do chairs, families, you can do however it is you want to do. But I want us to pray these things. Pray, one, thank God for saving us. Number two, thank God for giving us this freedom in Christ. Number three, ask God for direction and how he wants us to use this freedom or you use this freedom. Number four, this is where it gets a little bit more personal. Repent. Confess your sin and repent of any and all negative speech. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord for forgiveness and the grace to live in the good of this freedom. And number five, pray for unity. Okay? So thank God for saving us. Ask God for direction. Confess and pray for unity. And then I'll come back up and close this. So you can go ahead and move your chairs around. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace, the ways in which you have loved us by pursuing us, sending your son Jesus to die to save us, filling us with your spirit, empowering us to know you, and to walk in your ways, giving us joy. Lord, I just ask that you would continue to fill us as we leave here today, that you would equip us with the gifts that we need to honor and glorify you and to live the life that you've called us to live this week. Lord, would you surprise and delight us with your mercy and grace this week? And would you give us opportunities to share this good news with one another and with our community? With a neighbor, co-worker, just somebody, building communicate this good news about Jesus to them. And then, the Lord, would you save people as you've called us to this mission. Lord, as we go, we trust that you are with us always. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. May the Lord bless you.